the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Joining us for the Bob France Authority as we begin at 8 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on a Thursday, the 14th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Really appreciate you being with us. Coming up in about a half an hour on the program, we're going to talk to one of my favorite guests that is uh, on this program on a regular basis, Daniel Horowitz at Conservative Review. Going to give us the real lowdown on what's going on at the southern border. Information that nobody else is really telling you. Uh, and the true problems we face regardless of what the Senate does today. As you know, you should know, the Senate is going to meet today to uh, essentially uh, vote on whether or not it's a show vote. It's a resolution. It wouldn't bind anything anyway. But uh, to rebuke the President of the United States on his declaration of a national emergency at the southern border. Meanwhile... We'll continue to deal with the national emergency on our southern border. It's real, it's legitimate, it's verifiable. And Daniel, uh, Daniel Horowitz is going to talk to us about that, about all of the problems with walls, no walls, with Border Patrol doing their job, with the expansion of the catch and release program that the president signed off on, uh, and what it's, what it means to, uh, uh, national security in this country. So all of that coming up in about a half an hour, 935 with our friend Daniel Horowitz. Biggest news of the day, of course, and you just heard it, uh, in the top of the hour newscast. Robert Francis O'Rourke is running for president. The ring just had another hat thrown into it, in other words. Very, very crowded Democrat field already, and it's only March. So, yeah, I mean, let me just, hold on. I I probably don't have them all, because some of them are not as well-known as others. But you got the Inslee, governor of, uh, of Washington. You got Booker. You got Harris. You got Warren. You got Gabbard. You got Gillibrand. Uh, you got, let's see, um, O'Rourke now. Um, I, I'm missing several already. See, this is how goofy it is. This is, this is going to be way worse than what the Republican field was when it was 17 strong um, in 2016, 2015-2016, before the primaries weeded people out. But uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke has entered the race, and I'm going to continue to call him by his given name, Robert Francis O'Rourke. Robert Francis O'Rourke is Irish. He's an Irishman. But as a politician, he likes to go by Beto or Beto, which is some sort of a, I don't know, version of Robert. It's got a B and an E and a T in it, and there's an O in it for some reason. Not exactly sure where that came from, unless it's B and the E and the T minus the R and the O and all the rest from Robert. And then it's the O in O'Rourke at the end, Beto O'Rourke. Um, because it sounds more ethnic. It sounds more Hispanic. This has been the accusation. It certainly was the accusation that the Cruz campaign levied against him back during the 2016 Senate race, which was fought very, very competitively by Robert Francis O'Rourke. The uh, Cruz team started running ads about Robert Francis. And then, of course, Robert Francis and his group uh, replied, Oh, yeah? Then why do you go by Ted when your name is Raphael? Fair point. 
But Ted Cruz is not trying to hide his Cuban roots. He parades his father and his courageous story of getting out of uh, the hellhole that was Castro's Cuba. Uh, and actually predates Castro, if you think about it. Uh, but he, he's very proud of his Cuban heritage, heritage and uh, has made uh, you know no bones about that. But uh, Beto O'Rourke is trying to hide his Irish roots for the purpose of becoming, and he was doing this in a very heavily Hispanic-populated state like Texas, in order to make himself more appealing. I am going to have the underdog minority um, narrative be a big part of my campaign. I'm I'm a I'm a young Hispanic named Beto or Beto, and it doesn't make any sense. So his name is Robert Francis O'Rourke. He is not Hispanic or Latino, uh, and no matter what he tries to do, and he's running for president now. As much of a Manchurian I think as I've seen in a while, Robert Francis O'Rourke um, is about as packaged as they come. I mean, seriously. He's a three-term congressman. Fine. So he has a little bit of experience at federal government. Three-term congressman, failed Senate candidate, uh, 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 running against Ted Cruz, as we talked about. Um, Made it very competitive. I think he lost by three percentage points. He was uh, within some 200,000 votes out of uh, of several million cast. Um, Spent more money. That anybody, in fact, that whole Senate race between O'Rourke and Cruz was the most expensive Senate race in history. Uh, O'Rourke made, or see, this is the part about being packaged. I have to be careful. I was just talking to some people in Texas this morning about this. He didn't fundraise $80 million, he had it pouring in from other states as a part of, as I said, kind of the Manchurian style candidate that he was to be. He was drafted as kind of a national candidate, even though he was running for a Texas Senate position. He's on Ellen on national TV. He's on all kinds of the uh, uh, national cable news shows, the progressive ones, trying to unseat Ted Cruz in Texas, all because they knew what he was eventually going to be, because he's young, he's hip, he's good-looking. They compare his looks to Robert Kennedy, and he's just so cool. He rode a skateboard through a Whataburger in Texas. I mean, just a skateboarding, good-looking, young, hip guy. He's packaged. We'll, we'll, we'll give him a, a Hispanic-sounding nickname, and we'll get all of the Latino votes. It'll be massive. He's a packaged candidate. And what they'll hide from you about Robert Francis O'Rourke, the latest hat in the Democrat ring, what they'll hide from you is the fact that, despite his protestations of being a capitalist, he is a socialist, open borders advocate, who is just as extreme on the far left as any of the aforementioned names. The Warrens and the, and the, and the Bookers and the Harrises and all the rest. Uh, he's just as bad. Just as bad. He might even be just as bad as some of those who are not running because of their youth, and I'm talking about the freshman three. I'm talking about Alexandria Kelly Bundio Cortez, Rashida Talib, and uh, uh, of course Ilan Omar. He's kind of more in that vein, except he's been in Congress now. Again, here he was. Uh, he, he was a three-term congressman, and he is a little bit older uh, than they are, so he's able to run for president. But this is kind of the best comparison I can make. He is completely 
packaged uh, Manchurian-style candidate that is going to appeal to a certain part of the Democrat base and try to pull in a certain part of the moderate uh, vote because of just how fun and cool he is. He's he's kind of equal parts Robert Kennedy, maybe to an extent Jack Kennedy, certainly uh, a lot of Bill Clinton in him. You know, Bill Clinton went on Arsenio and played the saxophone, and look how cool that guy is. Sunglasses, saxophone, but he's not a big stuffed shirt politician like the rest of them. He's one of us, and people voted for him. Ben O'Rourke is, I'm on a skateboard. I'm just a casual, cool dude riding a skateboard through a popular uh, hamburger restaurant called Whataburger in Texas. Look how cool I am. Maybe get a picture of this. Get some video of this. Watch me. He is, he's got a lot of all of those things in him. But he doesn't want you to think that he is being packaged as a candidate. He wants you to take him seriously. He wants you to think that he is really, really the savior because the earth is in peril. If you listen to his announcement video from earlier this morning, in which he announces his candidacy for president, listen to how serious he makes the plight of the United States of America sound right now. I'm running to serve you as the next president of the United States of America. This is a defining moment of truth for this country and for every single one of us. The challenges that we face right now, the interconnected crises in our economy. Doesn't he just sound so... Yeah, He almost sounds to me like Mr. Movie Big Voice Guy. I'm, ha- I'm waiting for him to go, in a world where Donald Trump reigns supreme... Uh, and 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 the the innocence of all races of America is in jeopardy. I am right. He makes it sound as though, honestly, like this, he is the savior of the world. It sounds like a movie trailer, and then along comes Beto. Uh, it, it's hilarious listening to the overly dramatized production. Democracy and our climate have never been greater, and they will either consume us or they will afford us the greatest opportunity to unleash the genius of the United States of America. Just the tone of his voice, I swear I'm waiting for in a world. I'm just waiting for him to bust out with an inner world because that's how overly dramatic he sounds. He said a lot more in his little uh, uh, introductory video, if you will, to the uh, American voters. He is now, of course, a declared candidate for president, so we're going to dissect virtually everything that he had to say and talk about how much of a package he really is. He's almost as packaged as AOC. Almost. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who has never had an original thought in her head, honestly, who has been bought, paid for, and now is being puppet-strung by power brokers behind the scenes in the Democrat Party and in the progressive movement, the Justice Democrats running her life, running her uh, congressional um, uh, uh, term, Robert Francis O'Rourke is the same kind of thing. And we're going to talk about that as we continue today. So I welcome you to join us at 216-901-0945, Let me ask you this. Where would you, at this particular point in time, if you're you know, into the political game here, and you're looking at and handicapping the Democrat field, because we're all wondering, who's going to challenge Trump, right? We've been, at, we've been wondering this for, for two years. What are Democrats going to do in 2020? Who's going to challenge Donald Trump? Is it going to be somebody, you know, one of the new, young, fresh faces that we talk about, you know, the Bookers or Harrises or, in this case, O'Rourke? Is it going to be the old guard? 
We can always rely on Steady Joe. Crazy Uncle Joe, but Steady Joe, Joe Biden. And if you look at um, some of the recent Democrat polling, Joe Biden sits atop the charts, despite the presence of all those political newcomers. Joe Biden, old white guy number one, followed in the polling by Bernie Sanders, old white guy number two. And then, of course, again, there's a lot of color, a lot of diversity, a lot of, uh, you know, there's men and women, there's Latinos, there's black, there's white, there's uh, Native American, oh, sorry, Elizabeth Warren, phony Native Americans are <laughs> trying to check every box on the demographic page uh, in the, in the uh, Democratic primary. Where does Robert Francis O'Rourke slot in? Does he slot in just behind Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders? Does he slot in at the very top ahead of them? Does he do you slot him, uh, you know, uh, in the middle of the pack with uh, with Booker and Harris and Gabbard and Warren and Gillibrand and uh, Inslee and the rest of the knuckleheads who think they have a shot? Where do you put him? How much does it impact this race? And which, if any of them, would be the biggest threat to Donald Trump's reelection? Now, of course, that's almost impossible to answer for, you know, at the present time because we don't know what the Mueller report is going to say. It could be re- released at any minute or wrapped up the announcement that, uh, that it's been completed any minute or any day. Uh, so we don't know what that's going to show. We don't know what kind of, you know, new investigations these, uh, uh, very vile political operatives masquerading as members of Congress and congressional committees and the Democrat side. We don't know what they're going to do over the course of the next two years. But assuming that Donald Trump is still president, hasn't been impeached, hasn't been thrown out of office, or had something other, other, something other cataclysmic happen to him, which of the Democrats in that field right now do you think in a general election would be enough to tell the American people, turn around and away from the tax relief that you got, turn away from the best unemployment figures this nation has seen in decades and the best unemployment numbers it has seen in history for certain demographics, turn around from the deregulation that has loosened the stranglehold the government has on businesses and allowed them to hire and bring manufacturing jobs back, turn around on the military uh, buildup that needed to be done after we we were weakened immeasurably by the Obama administration, which, of course, followed in the footsteps of the same thing that the uh, Clinton administration did. And do you want to turn away from all of the wonderful advances we have made in this country in the last two years? Which of these declared Democrats, including Robert Francis O'Rourke now, would have the best chance of making moderate voters do that? 216-901-0945, Let's get you up and on the radio. Don't forget Daniel Horowitz after the bottom of the hour on AM 1420. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is 927. Uh... Pretty remarkable story coming out of uh, California. Yet another illegal immigrant murder. 
another homicide com- uh, committed by somebody who had no business being in the United States at all. Bambi Larson was found stabbed to death in her home. Discarded clothing outside contained her DNA along with the suspects, Carlos Eduardo Arevalo Carranza. Turns out he'd been deported in 2013 and he had a long criminal history. Homeland Security placed six detainer requests on him in L.A. and Santa Clara counties over the past three years. But ICE and San Jose Police Chief Eddie Garcia says they were not honored. The city of San Jose and our police department has no control over how the county interacts with federal immigration enforcement and deportation of violent or serious felons. But he says they should have the ability to protect their own community. And of course he's right. But Santa Clara County won't let that happen because they declared themselves to be sanctuary, a sanctuary county. So they would. Did you hear what that report said? He had already been deported once, ignored our laws, and came back. Now, I'm not in Congress, but I'll tell you the one thing that I would do. We already have a dispute in this country about whether somebody who is here illegally is committing a crime or not. An illegal alien, according to those who support illegal immigration, they're just undocumented. It's not a crime just to be here. I mean, it, it might violate a, uh, you know, a, a trespassing rule, but it's not a criminal act. Concentrate on the crime. To me, if you do it once and are deported and you come back again, you now are willfully committing crimes against the United States of America and her sovereignty. But first of all, he was deported and then came back. Second of all, six different federal detainers were issued on him. Six of them. And none of them were honored. Local law enforcement in the county, in Santa Clara County, refused to hold him. And as a result, like so many countless numbers of others, he's free to continue to commit crimes, and now there's a murder. Chief Eddie Garcia, the police chief there, said, this isn't about politics, this is about public safety. He could have been turned over to ICE any one of six times and then re-deported. And nobody is, is standing up for the, for, the, for the innocent civilians, the victims of illegal criminals like this. This is a part of this is a massive part of the problem. And you know, we talk about the president and his stand on immigration. He's doing everything he can in a lot of cases. He can't do this. The DOJ has tried to defund sanctuary cities. But because of the courts, the unelected judges who essentially are running the country, and that's something Daniel Horowitz will tell us about in a minute, um, they say you can't do it. The federal government can't withhold grants from cities that, that refuse to uh, help enforce the law. It is a major part of the problem here. We're going to talk more about that with Horowitz coming up after the news on AM1420.com. Well, if I could walk on water And if I could find some way to prove If I could walk on is this uh, intentional? I have to ask DJ Jim Lucio. Are we talking about walking across the Rio Grande? Is that is that walking on water? Is that, that that's kind of where I'm thinking you're going with that? Either that, or I completely invented that, and you're just going to roll with it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no joke, we do have a serious issue uh, between the Rio Grande and some of the other geographic uh, issues with respect and geological issues, rather. Uh, with respect to the southern border, it is leading to even bigger problems than we realize. Problems that even perhaps a wall will not solve. Uh, let me explain. Better yet, let me bring our friend Daniel Horowitz on from Conservative Review and CRTV. Let, let's bring him on to explain. Daniel, good morning. How are you, sir? 
We are doing all right. Great to be back with you. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Daniel, I read yesterday um, your article at Conservative, Conservative Review uh, questioning what good the president's wall will do if, in fact, what we have seen happen and you reported on uh, is happening, and that is Border Patrol agents are literally going around the wall in the, in some of the areas where we do have you know 18-foot-high fencing, which is kind of the prototype that uh, that we would like to do in a lot of other areas along that border. Uh, but um, they're going around the wall, and they're, they're, they're scooping up the illegal immigrants who are waiting on the south side of it, putting them in buses, and herding them toward, uh, you know, the, uh, the ports of entry, bringing them in, giving them a date to come back for their uh, deportation hearings or for their uh, asylum or refugee request hearings or whatever it is that they're there for, and turning them loose in the classic catch-and-release style. That was a an eye-opener for me. I cannot believe that that is where we are. Can you explain how and why that is going on? Exactly. The entire debate today in the Senate is, is moot. It's a joke. We're, we're debating the wrong thing. Um, you know, back in uh, 2014, I wrote an article making the case for a border wall, and an AP reporter called it the most compelling case he's ever read. Uh, so you're, you're speaking to a guy who authored that and, and has long believed in the need of it, but something has changed. Something more severe has occurred since then. And you know, I hate to use cancer analogies, but I can't think of a better analogy. So let's start with this. Um, if someone comes in with stage four cancer, it's very serious and you need action. Well, does chemotherapy and radiation help? Should you do that? Well, of course. I mean, what's your choice? Uh, you know, it could very well help. It might not, but certainly you want to do it. Um, but let's say a minute later, that patient then starts to take out a knife and slit his wrist. Well, and, and then I sit and continue to focus on cancer treatments. Well, if, if you don't stop the bleeding and you don't take that knife away, it, it, the whole thing is moot. And that's exactly what has happened the last couple of years with our border. Uh, you know, I wrote a book about this. I've been warning about it. We have countenanced the notion in the last few years that the courts, even a forum shopped lower court, is such a god over our political system that he could unilaterally dissolve our border and mandate that we no longer have sovereignty, that $7.8 billion We have Uh-oh. to bring them in. We have to process them. We have no rights to anything. So then here's the deal. A border wall works if you have a border. Okay? So then you don't... It's just, you know, you need a force multiplier because you can't catch all them. And it prevents them from coming in. And even if they try to climb over, they'll be caught. And what does being caught mean? It means you'll be returned like we used to do. But now they surrender themselves and we believe we need to take them. And like I reported in this article, it's so much so. And here's one more important detail. Contrary to what some of your audience might think, the border wall will not be literally at the boundary for a number of reasons. So here in Texas, it's recess. It's always recess, maybe 100, 200 feet, a couple hundred yards in some places north into our territory. Um, they don't want to put it right on the Rio Grande uh, riverbed. You know, you've got to let it ebb and flow. Right. And what happens is, in many places, the river is knee-deep. So they, especially near El, pa- El Paso, they'll just walk across. As soon as they're on our soil... They're on our, as they cross, they're on our soil. Now, if they're on our soil, um, if we are going to take the lower court rulings to such a suicide pack, packed extreme, what we believe is that we have to pick them up. So if that is true, and that is indeed what is happening, you could build a border wall from Brownsville to San Diego, and you could have it 
as high as the stratosphere, it doesn't matter. We'll go and get them. That's the part that I learned yesterday. Um, you know, from your article, and then I was also talking to Mark Kerkorian of the Center for Immigration Studies, and I did not know that. I didn't, I mean, I suppose I didn't think it was built on the border, <clears throat> excuse me, right on the actual boundary, but uh, we just kind of assumed, hey, you know, that, that, that wall, if we have a barrier up in a certain place, is this kind of the start of American territory. But from a technical point of view, you're right. If they walk from Mexico, onto the American side of the actual boundary and then right up to the base of the wall. They are now on American uh they are now on American soil and we are it is incumbent. Is it is it mandatory? I mean what's or is it just a you know a humanitarian thing to say they're starving people on the other side of that wall that are in American uh territory right now. They're on American soil. We have to go and get them. That's is that is it compensatory? What's you know or is it just kind of a, a decision I don't even they know anymore because as I've noted in a series of articles that conservative review Nobody in politics, and that includes this Department of Homeland Security run by Kirsten Nielsen, really wants to do what it takes to stop it. Um, they they follow every illegal court ruling. And, and well, what would that be? Daniel, what they say. I'm assuming that is the legal. Yeah. I'm assuming that is the legal guidance they're getting. Um, but I'm just saying that meaning nothing. Met, the issue is not the wall at this point. That's that's later on. Um, once you respect your own border and stop the lawfare and you're now returning people when you catch them rather than uh giving them amnesty so then yeah wall will help you do that but until we deal with the lawfare that this is all moot no i i I agree uh but i I can go a little deeper if you could here daniel when you say that People like you know DHS and Kristen Nielsen aren't willing to do what's necessary to deal with the problem. What is the necessary? Because at this point, I thought the wall was what was necessary, and I thought you know um, <laughs> obviously rewriting some congressional laws uh, or laws in Congress as far as uh, the catch and release and for what truly can be said by uh, an asylum seeker to give them you know reasonable uh, uh, reason for for uh, staying. Uh, all of these things, but w- w- what is the reasonable that can be done? The, the bottom line is, if you look at McAleenan or Kirsten Nielsen, they go to Congress, they basically say, oh, it's all your fault, there's nothing we can do, there's nothing we can do. Well, if there's nothing that you can do, maybe Trump should just resign. I mean, why have a president? Um, the reality is, and you're not going to hear this anywhere else, mm-hmm. this has nothing to do with the laws. The laws are fine. The laws don't say what they're saying. Um, at some point, as I've noted since you've known me, and, and I've warned about it, and I've been proven correct, you have to push back against the court, okay, especially the lower court. At some point, Trump needs to get up there and invoke Clarence Thomas and say universal injunctions by a lower court is unconstitutional. Um, Congress couldn't even confer that power if they wanted to, and they certainly haven't. And that, at least in itself, would force the Supreme Court to more expeditiously uh, you know, bring this to a head, which they're not. Um, you have no choice, because here's, here's what's going on. The courts are no longer just saying, oh, statute says this and it's kind of like a bs reading of statute no they are saying the statutes are unconstitutional they're saying the ina is unconstitutional they're saying when congress said they don't have jurisdiction to adjudicate it they're going to adjudicate it anyway um they're giving standing to people that don't have standing outside of our country they're they're violating powers and, and here's the funny thing today um congress is obsessing about executive power today they don't like an executive power grab Nobody's talking about the judicial power grab. That's the more severe issue. So all I'm going to say is if we believe that any lower court's utterance is a suicide pact, then you're right. There's nothing we can do. 
because by definition, anything we do to uh, take care of this, they're going to abolish. You know, we talk about abolishing ICE. The courts are abolishing ICE. Last week, the Ninth Circuit um, illegally adjudicated a case and said that they have constitutional habeas corpus rights for endless appeals. I mean, that is so severe. If we're going to follow that, then nothing matters. So at some point, you need to draw that line, bring the military to our border, not let anything in, and the president needs to be willing to stand stand by that. I have a whole other option with tent cities. Trump himself talked about that. They're not doing it. Um, There's a lot of things, but you have to be willing to punch. Daniel, um, I'm throwing my hands up. Um, You got me. Uh, I, I, um, it, it all is lost. And, and I say this not mockingly. No, I mean this, uh, Daniel. And by the way, <clears throat> Daniel is not on here trying to sell his book, Stolen Sovereignty, but I will, because everything he is talking about right now is covered in Stolen Sovereignty, How to Stop Unelected Judges from Transforming America. Uh, you got me, but because I literally have no answer for what you're saying. And my fear, Daniel, there is, is that no neither, neither, right, neither does anybody else. Because if if it's all the power play being made by the courts and the courts are telling Congress what's constitutional and what isn't. If the courts are telling Trump what an executive can do or can't do, despite what the Congress says, then how can the president do what you just said? And that is bring the military and put them on the border and say nobody else comes in. Because as soon as he does, a Democrat will go to the ninth or some other, you know, judge shopping, uh, do some more judge shopping and, and go right back to the same, uh, uh, power mad, uh, black robe wearers who are going to say you can't do that. I mean, I feel like... Exactly, but they don't have a police force. Go ahead. Well, 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 we're not helpless because they're the weakest branch of government, and at some point the the, um, usurpation of power is so blatant, you you, you tell them, you put them back in their place. I mean, what I'm telling you is I understand that... How are they the weakest branch of government? What do you mean how? You just... Well, no, but I mean, the federal left. judges who have lifetime appointments are the ones who are doing this. Uh, who do we go to They're to say, doing take anything. that power away from them? They're writing opinions. <clears throat> I'm saying we either have a country or we don't. At some point, it becomes so severe. Here's, here's, let me just explain a little better. There's one thing if there's 30 things we want to do on immigration, let's say, and there's two of them that the courts kind of screw around with and say, ah, you know, the statute says this. So you're like, yeah. you know, really, you know, they're full of full of it, but okay, let's go back and try but to. If they issue the injunction. It, it's it's like you yeah. said before. You know, it, but, it's. But what, I'm, what I'm telling you is, they're doing this on every single thing, and they're not just doing it statutorily. They're saying they're 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 creating constitutional rights to them that if you agree that the courts have this power, which they don't, and you just follow it, then yes, there is nothing we could ever do, and we are lost as a nation. This is where Justice Robert Jackson, he's the famous dissenter in the Japanese internment case. He was the lead prosecutor in Nuremberg. Um, he once, he's the, once said this famous line in a case dealing with an American inciting violence in Chicago, real legitimate First Amendment. And he, that's where he said the Constitution is not a suicide pact. How much more so a randomly form-shopped lower court judge violating the Constitution is not a suicide pact? At some point, you, will, you cannot follow something that compels this result the problem is the president's been awfully quiet this entire week on this issue which is bizarre to me he should be holding press conferences making this case invoking clarence thomas and then you know what's interesting if he does that that will force the other side to go and go back to the courts and complain that he's not listening and that will actually quit more quickly bring it to a head at the supreme court because right now roberts is playing games 
because the Trump administration is so obsequious to every whim of the lower courts, he just gives in right away. So they never even feel an urgency to, to take up the case. Is there? Yeah, well, I don't blame them. Uh, well, let me rephrase. Uh, Roberts is, is I don't think we have a conservative majority in the court. Roberts has, has gone no. from, Roberts has gone, in my opinion, from being, you know, a moderate conservative to a swing vote. Uh, in place of Kennedy, to quite frankly, uh, siding with the liberals now. He has sided with the liberals on so many recent case, cases involving abortion and asylum and death penalties and so on and so forth. I, I don't know that I would want to bring everything to the Supreme Court in, a, in in great haste, considering the fact that right now, I don't think there's a conservative majority. Uh, look, you know, I certainly agree with you, and um, you know, I'm, I'm I, I don't think the president needs to ask a Supreme Court permission for stuff that the Supreme Court said for two years is inherent executive power to prevent any commerce or any person from entering our country. Um, but nonetheless, I'm just trying to, you know, do a middle ground that at least if you're too scared to stand up to Supreme Court judicial supremacism, at least the random lower court stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, what you're saying is, is also important. The fact that SCOTUS blog just did an analysis of this term at the Supreme Court, and they said exactly what you just said, that John Roberts, whenever you had opinion splits, he was more with the left than with Clarence Thomas and others. And it's worse than that. Guess who was not so far behind him? Kavanaugh. Yep, there um, it is. And you remember, I was on your show. I warned about that before the whole scandal broke, and everyone obviously broke ranks because it was terrible what they did to him. Right. But, you know, some of us were saying, dude, I mean, the guy's an establishmentarian. Um, you know, I feel bad that. You know, they ganged up on him like that with that horrible accusation, but it doesn't make someone a conservative. And he badly, you know, and a lot of people are saying, well, after they did that to him, let me tell you, he's now going to go stick it to the left and, you know, no. issue right wing decisions. I'm like, no, you don't understand his mindset. He's so badly w- wants to get back in their graces as a fair minded, judicious judge. You know, he's going to go the other way. And I think I've been proven right. He screwed us on two abortion cases so far, a global warming case. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, there are problems there. And, and, and by the way, during the um, confirmation hearings, he was asked by Durbin about this case that came before his appellate court about an illegal seeking an abortion, demanding a right to abortion. And one of his colleagues, Karen Henderson, wrote a, a, a opinion that this is nonsense. If, if you're an illegal, it's as if you're not in our country. You have no rights whatsoever um, to any of this stuff, uh, legitimate rights, much less an abortion. And guess what? Um, Kavanaugh did not sign on to that dissent. He had his own. So, all right, you can't read too much into it, but Durbin asked him about it, and he's like, yeah, you know, uh, if this would have been an adult, uh, he would have had a right to an abortion. I mean, I'm just telling you, we have a vanity movement, and you know I've criticized this phony conservative movement where we just deem things. We, we think we have the ball in the end zone, but we don't. In fact, when we win elections, what it means is we've recovered possession of the ball. But you've got to make the plays. You've got to verify. You can't trust. You gotta. You gotta. You, you can't just get up there. Oh, I don't want the Democrats to win. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I don't want them to get the ball. Fine. But it's not mutually exclusive for you to have the ball and actually try to make the right plays with them. Daniel, real quick before you go, um, regarding the Senate vote today, the Senate's going to vote probably to rebuke and uh, you know resolution to to stop the president from uh, declaring this national emergency. He's going to veto it. The court challenge will go on. When this gets to the Supreme Court, given what we just discussed with Roberts and Kavanaugh, uh, is there any chance the president wins? 
No, there's definitely a chance. Um, but you, like you said, you can't guarantee. Right, it. What, what huge, are the chances? Then how about that? What are you? What are the odds? You know, the problem is, it's a very technical issue. You know, it's more about appropriations than about immigration. So it's it's very hard to know. But but it proves my broader point. Here here's my punchline: If I'm the president, both politically, messaging, and policy wise. If I have one executive bullet to fire in that gun to expend my political capital, do it on invoking 212F and Article 2 to keep out all asylum seekers and process them in Mexico and behind it. Because anyway, he's submitting this to the courts anyway. So you may as well do it on something that, A, is the antecedent to the problem, will solve the problem, at least the media problem, and B, he actually looks better politically because even the media is admitting that the bogus asylum is the source of the problem. The wall just looks too political. And frankly, they're not wrong because he hasn't done any of the other 10 things I've been asking for that would reflect the true nature of the emergency. And he's not even talking about it. The media is now talking about the border more than he is. He's not talking about it. And it really looked like his emergency was with the conservative base after he screwed us with that amnesty bill, that omnibus bill. Imagine if we would have had a short-term CR going now with all this news coming out of the border, he would have had a much stronger hand to play. So you know, he kind of except he would have he wouldn't know. have gotten one though. He wouldn't have gotten one. Uh, you know, because I've, I've I've criticized him on that too. He shouldn't have signed it. He should have demanded That's a short term. They, they the, wouldn't the have given Democrats him. had no leverage to shut down the government if he was willing to do a clean CR. And if they would have, they would have been blamed. Schumer did that earlier this year. Remember, Sh- Trump was the one asking for something, and that's where he kind of lost down. If he's like just a clean CR, and, and again, if we are at the point where we're not willing to hold the line even on a clean CR, again, just go home. I'm sick of the excuses. So then what's the point? The lower no, I, court I'm with you, my I, I, I share your frustration, you know, Daniel. That's why I called you to have on today. Excuses. I'm yeah. just sick of the excuses. I, I am we, too, we my need, friend. We need I to speak. Daniel, a great analysis, great piece at Conservative Review, and obviously I'm going to tell people again, if they don't understand what you're talking about about this judicial power grab, the book is there, Stolen Sovereignty, get it. Uh, I say this not to help him increase sales, I say this to educate uh, the American people about the true nature of this problem. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on, as always. Take care, God bless. You got it. Daniel Horowitz on AM 1420, The Answer, we're late, let's get out and come back in on AM 1430. All right, 957 now, short segment here on AM 1420, The Answer. Guest three the rest of the way, by the way. So anytime you want to get in line, get in line. 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Uh, plenty of opportunity to talk uh, to us in the next hour as well. Dave in Cleveland is up now on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Dave, go ahead. Morning, Bob. How are you? Good, sir. What's on your mind? There was a great article in Zero Hedge this morning on exactly what Horowitz saying and it's basically while america is sleeping the ninth liberal ninth liberal circus is undermining the constitution and rewriting the laws for all these illegals and you you know one way really the only way is exactly what horowitz says trump has to get out there and tell people listen this is declare an injunction and i think even hold them hold the ninth circuit criminally liable for rewriting these laws to fit their agenda I mean, that's exactly that's all they're doing. You can't. These people have no rights as illegal aliens right now, and that's exactly what the ninth what the Ninth Circuit just established last night versus the obvious uh, corpus that they did. Yeah, uh, you're 100 percent right. Uh, and that piece, by the way, it, it, that uh, uh, Zero Hedge ran. 
is Daniel's yeah. piece. Yeah, they actually they okay. actually took it and, and reprinted it uh, on Zero Hedge, and it's 100% right, okay. and you're 100% right. But again, I, I, as I said to Daniel, I'm kind of throwing my hands up in the air and saying, now what? Because this is right. the courts, and, and what we're asking right. is for a higher court, the Supreme Court, to, to rebuke the Ninth in such a way, like you said, that exposes their quote-unquote criminality, and, and that would be almost unprecedented. It's one thing to overturn a lower court's decision uh, and, and make a final decision, but it's another thing to actually hold those judges accountable for their gross um, unconstitutional uh, power grab, if you will, that, they've, that they are making. And I, I just don't know Absolutely. how we fix that. You know what? And one last thought on on Kavanaugh. Uh, you know, by and large, he is uh, Jesuit educated, and all you need to do is look at some of the liberal things our Pope is doing, and to get an idea of maybe where some of his thought processes. Unfortunately, oh, you're 100 percent right. I've talked about this before with uh, with some folks who graduated from Jesuit, uh, uh, you know, Jesuit Catholic schools, if you will, both at the high school and at the collegiate level. And you're right. Uh, they, uh, along with the Pope, they are completely changing. Um, uh, the way they view things and the way that they teach things and uh, the doctrine uh, that has long been the hallmark of Jesuit uh, uh, religion or Jesuit faith and and Catholicism as uh, uh, you know as a uh, as a full religion, uh, you're 100 percent right. The Jesuits are really, really breaking from long-standing Catholic doctrine, and they are doing it with the blessing of the Pope. Thank you for the call. Let me move on to the news. After the news, more of your phone calls. Dial now. We'll get you on 216-901-0945 on the Bob Francis. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.